Welcome to EDI on BIB. I'm Haley Wooden, Executive Editor of Business in Vancouver, and we're broadcasting today from the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil nations. Joining me as a co-host is Chantal Krish, Strategic Advisor on Advocacy, Equity, and Communications, and a Board Director with the Minerva Foundation for BC Women. Chantal, great to have you back. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, nice to be here. Our guest today is Trish Mandewa. Trish is an award-winning serial entrepreneur and diversity and inclusion strategist. She is president and founder of Synergy Executive and Boards Consulting Group, which helps bridge the diversity gap on Canadian corporate and nonprofit boards and also among executive leadership ranks. And her group does this by helping Black, Indigenous, and other visible minority women get board ready. Trish is also a counselor for the city of Coquitlam and the co-founder of the Women's Collaborative Hub Society. Trish, welcome to the show and thanks for joining EDI on BIB. Thank you for having me, Haley and Chantel. What prompted you to found Synergy on Boards Consulting Group? What's the story behind the company? Oh, I actually, I absolutely love telling the story because I myself uh, am an immigrant to Canada. And when I came, I had obstacles that I faced um, and couldn't really be where I needed to be just because of being new to Canada. And as well, I know many people that are either indigenous, black or visible minorities that have you know, given up on their journey to rise to their fullest potential just because of the systemic problems that are ingrained in our, in our um, organizations and um, uh, community at large. So yeah, it is because of these injustices that fueled me to, to start Synergy Executive and Boards Consulting Group. And a quick follow-up on that too, my sense is that sometimes to get board experience or to get a position on a board, you need the board experience, but in order to get that experience, you need to have gotten that position first. It's a bit of a circuitous problem. Uh, how is this something you're helping to address specifically for the individuals you work with? Yeah, so so actually I'll start by clarifying. You, you said our name is Synergy on Boards. That's a exactly how we started. We wanted to work with just boards, but we quickly had to pivot into doing executive recruitment as well, because we found out that because that gap is already there, people, in order to get onto boards, corporations are expecting you to have that executive experience, but that executive stage has been blocked for so many years. They've been a concrete ceiling for some and a glass ceiling for some. So in order for people to step into that next level, we truly needed to get into that executive space and be able to open the opportunities uh, for for, um, IVBM population. That's really interesting. Thank you. Um, I was just, we were also wondering how diverse are Canadian corporate boards today and how do these numbers compare to the population at large? We do hear a lot of discussion around this, but I'm really curious to hear what what does it actually look like and how is it playing out in the corporate sector? Oh yeah, for sure. So at the last census, which was 2016, uh, indigenous blacks and visible minorities made up 22.3% of the total population. But as we know, statistics, uh, it's always behind, right? And now we are already in 2021. So we know the numbers are most likely over 25%. Um, so end with that, you, you will find that 
only 4.5% of directors of FP500 companies uh, as of 2016 were individuals of um, um, indigenous, black, and visible minorities. So 4.5% compared to 23, almost 25%, right? Um, and if you look at um, the government, the provincial government also, not provincial, but federal, the federal government just did a scan last year, and they also noticed that about 5.5% of their senior level and um, appointed positions were individuals from the IVBM. And I'm gonna be using IVBM, and uh, what it stands for is Indigenous, Black, and Visible Minorities. It's easier, it's a mouthful, so you will hear me often using the term IVBM. So I just thought I would clarify that. So yeah, so, you know, 4.5% versus 25%, and in some cases, 5.5%, uh, you know, uh, so it's so, so low. And if you disaggregate that data further, you will see that less than 1% of that 5.5% is indigenous and black. And if you even dig deeper to look for women within that subset, um, visible minority women are the ones that are truly, truly underrepresented, uh, like grossly underrepresented, if I should say. Chantal brought up a good point that we're talking about these issues more, the glass ceiling and the concrete ceilings that exist for those in society. And you mentioned, mm -hmm. Trish, too, the data we have is a little bit old, so it'll be interesting to see what the latest census figures say. But why mm -hmm. do you think these gaps persist? What are some of the barriers that we still haven't managed to dismantle? Yeah, um, so there's, there's so many things that, you know, have gotten us here, right? There are a multitude of forces um, that have been at play, at play since time immemorial, but the overarching um, problem is that power and control, right? The individuals that have, which is pretty much the white male, that have been in control of, of the power and uh, the control since time immemorial do not want to give up that power, right? Um, so you find that systemically we have put in barriers so that people don't get there, be it in the policies that are made, be it in you know just how the business is done and how the hiring is done. Um, over the years has really created these stereotypes that are ingrained in people's minds so that um, when someone who doesn't look like the ideal or the good fit comes along, you know, they're quickly um, dismissed or not considered. Yeah, it's kind of that idea that, you know, the more you have people that look like you, the more you will continue to have people that look like you. And so, and, and the way you look is only one dimension of this larger conversation around diversity, but um, it, it is certainly around, you know, how are, how are people being reflected in these senior positions? And it's so important um, for other people that are coming up through their careers as well, the next generation to also see those kinds of opportunities and role models. Um, so from your point of view, I mean, you've talked a little bit about why the gap persists and sort of those ingrained ideologies that exist around power and control. Um, what steps do you think companies should be taking if they do want to diversify their board and their executive leadership teams and roles? 
So I'll talk about what I think they should do and I'll talk about what they have been doing, right? So I'll quickly say what companies have found to be the easiest thing to do is to grab on to, to, to the campaigns to say, sign up for this um, initiative, right? To support diversity. So they find it quite easy to sign up. For example, the, uh, the Black North initiative is one that came last year and thousands of companies went and started signing that. And also you find companies are finding it easy to, to bring in someone to come talk about bias and they say, check, we have done what we need to do, right? But now let's really talk about what they truly need to be doing. The first thing that needs to happen is a change in culture, right? Um, because a better culture within an organization it has to start with the conversation and with the admission that there is a problem, right? So as long as companies are in denial and they're really looking to just check the mark, we are never going to be really moving the needle. So they need to analyze, they need to start off with, with, with an analysis or um, an audit, if I should say. Uh, and that audit should look at their hiring practices. You should look at their policies. You know, what are the policies saying? And, and how is it that you're using, are you using the language that's inclusive? Have you created a space that's safe enough for someone to come in and be truly themselves and be able to shine? Um, and also they need to performance manage um, inclusion, just like they do with other aspects of their businesses, right? If you do performance management for, um, you know, for, for everything else, why not do it for EDI, right? So those are some of the things that we need them to do. Um, I'll end with um, maybe a couple others to say um, <clears throat> transparency is a big one. Companies like to say, oh yeah, we've got meritocratic hiring. Well, if you do, why don't you share the data of how many people applied for the positions and of those, how many were uh, visible minorities and show us how you went through the hiring process so we can truly know that you did, you, you got the best hire, right? But as long as we have got secrecy in that work, then we are going with their word, right? So transparency is huge. Um, and a lot of them also like to talk about meritocracy, right? But you cannot have meritocracy without showing that disaggregated data. And um, also you, you can have that meritocracy without casting the net wider so that you are really getting all the people to apply rather than going and tapping the shoulder of the people that you want, right? In a nutshell, uh, that's the kind of work that the companies can start on right away. Do you have any thoughts, Trish, on whether having something like a hiring quota or quotas around how, di how diverse a senior executive team or board should be? Is that a positive thing or does that not really get at the underlying issues that might exist when it comes to, as you mentioned, power and control within a company? I don't like to use the word quota, nor do I support people to have quotas. But what I support is for them to assess and say whose voice is missing. Right. If you're going um, and you, you're marketing, or not marketing, but if your clients are a certain uh, subset of the population, and then you look at your whole management and that's not reflected, I would think a good business sense is going to make you to ask and say, do we not need that perspective? Right. And when you say you need that perspective, 
we should not just go and tap on someone's shoulder just because they look like the person we're looking for. Again, we have got so much talent um, in the IBVM population. Then get the right person who is qualified for that position, give them the opportunity to interview with everybody else and get the voice that's going to make your company complete. I like to look at it like a puzzle, right? So if you've got the pieces of the puzzle, you always find the right fit. And in this case, the right fit is the person who is going to bring the perspective that you're missing, but they have the qualifications. Because the problems with, with quarters is nobody wants to be put in a position just because, you know, they're Black or they're East Asian or, you know, whatever their um, diversity identification is. No one wants to be put in that because we all have the skill set and, and we have the knowledge to be able to step at the table. So all we want is the same opportunity to vie for that, pro, for that position. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think it also positions it from sort of an asset-based approach, you know, like here's what we all bring and here are the voices that are missing. And there's enough research to talk about how diversity also increases business productivity and has a lot of positive outcomes from that side of, of the discussion as well. So I guess my question is, for you and the work that you're doing, as you talked about going through the executive search process, because probably needing to fill that talent pipeline more with more diversity, what's that like for you? Like, how do you find candidates and what's your process look like? And what kind of a response are you getting from the people that you do reach out to for these senior leadership executive type roles? Yeah, so, so our process is very unique. And um, we are a search company, but I tell people we are not your normal search company um, because you find that the traditional way of doing it is not any different from one company to the other. You know, they go and post the position, whether it's on LinkedIn, and they go tap on the shoulders of the people that they've worked with before to say, hey, do you know someone, right? Uh, so it's, it's still kind of um, staying within the same circle, right? So our approach, before we even formalized Synergy Executive and Boards, we sought to have the largest list of, in, in, of Indigenous, Black, and visible minorities. It was critical for us to have that list and to be able to be talking to that population to say, you know what, we are here for you. And we are your biggest advocates and we want to help you, you know, step into this role that has previously um, been either discouraged or has been blocked, right? So we continuously talk to people in the subset of the population and they come to our website and they create a profile. And in that profile, they specify their skill set. They specify what they are, um, what they are wishing to step into. What roles are they looking for? How are they wanting to challenge themselves? And if they're wanting to get on a board, what kind of a board, right? Because we want to support them as a whole individual, and we want to take a holistic approach to this, rather than just saying, "Yep, you know, you've got this. We are placing you. Goodbye. We are done with you." Right? So we are supporting them prior to stepping into. The the position that they're getting into and then we want to we continue to support them after they get there and the reason why it's important for us to support them after is you know um the the glass cliff effect exists 
right? And we talked earlier about safety in, in, in having an inclusive community. Uh, and you find that a lot of the organizations, if they're doing it as a token, they don't care how the atmosphere is going to be for you. They just put you in there and you're going to be so miserable and you're going to fail quickly, right? So we want to prevent that by supporting them throughout the whole process. So that's where we are different. Um, so we are coming not only with um, a big database to tap into, but we also coming as a trusted source. The people we are working with trust us and they know we are their biggest advocates, right? So it really sets us apart there. It's a good point, and I like that you continue to support individuals after they've been placed. That gets back to what you were saying a bit earlier about the importance of culture and the role of culture and making people feel included and welcome. What would you say are some of the biggest first steps a company should take after they've done the assessment, which I understand is very important, but what are some meaningful steps they could take to actually shift culture, which can be quite a difficult thing to do, especially when you think about a large organization that might not be physically in the same place anymore? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so after the assessment, of course, when you have an audit, you're going to get recommendations from that audit. So the number one thing is to make sure that that audit document is not going to st stay in your drive or if it's if to go back 10 years back and say, let it sit, you know, and collect dust, right? You have to action it out. So companies have to look at those recommendations that are given to them and chip them one at a time in order to get to that goal that they make for themselves. So um, an EDI strategy is so critical for organizations. I find a lot of them are putting EDI as a good to have, right? And they don't really have that holistic and whole strategy. Um, and I like to talk even at our council turbo, I always talk about how EDI is horizontal. It affects every single thing that we do, right? So if I was to take a municipality, for example, if you're talking about parks, if you're talking about, you know, a new construction, if you're talking about your community center, you have to apply that EDI lens across, right? Because it really uh, informs everything that you do. And you have to ask yourself, how does this impact or not having EDI, how will it impact the people that are going to use your product? How, how does it impact the people that are going to use the service that you have as an organization? So truly look at um, implementing those strategies. If you don't have the strategy, that's the number one thing to do is to get back to the basic, do an audit, have a strategy and set your measurable goals and make sure that these KPIs really uh, can, can be um, you know, actualized in that you have measurables that you can go back and say, yes, we have achieved this. Signing up for an initiative, like I said earlier, to, to say, oh yeah, we are part of this initiative, doesn't make any change to, to, to what we're talking about here. I really like what you spoke to earlier about performance managing your EDI strategy. And I just wanted to unpack that a little. So, so that's really benchmarking, right? Like what, you know, if, if you've said you're going to do this, you check in on that a year later or six months later and, and see how you've met those targets and report back. Is that kind of what you had, in what you're talking about? Exactly. That's what I was saying. You know, we yeah. know what gets measured gets done, yeah. right? So if we talk about EDI as this good to have, which is just in the air, it's just going to be that. 
But if we performance manage it and we set the goals and the KPIs, then we can look back and say, you know, the last quarter we failed or the last quarter we met our goals, right? Uh, And I really, really would love to see management being evaluated on how they are meeting their EDI goals rather than putting everything else in just, you know, mentioning EDI out there. So let's put it as, you know, as one of the core aspects of performance management. We've been focusing mostly on boards and executive leadership ranks, but I'd love to lean on your experience in politics for a moment, if I can. Trish, you're an elected city councillor. How diverse or not diverse would you say municipal politics is in BC, and are there gaps that need to be filled there? Oh, uh, the last report is also an old one. I know that at the last election, the number for women went up. So we did okay with the dimension of uh, uh, gender parity, um, but we are still very much lacking when it comes to visible minority, um, Indigenous, Black and visible minority diversity on, on councils. So I am hoping that more people from that population will raise their hands. And I always like to speak about uh, my community in Coquitlam to say I'm so proud of them because I was the first Black person to be um, you know, uh, elected in Coquitlam. But wh- why I'm proud of them is because I was born in Coquitlam nine years when I ran. But from the time I got into my community, I was ingrained in the community. I'm one of those people that's very much community-minded. And my community saw that. And they looked at my skill set. And they looked at what I had to give and what I had given. And they saw that I belonged to the table. And they elected me, right? So I would love for people to not self-select out, but to go and, and, and start asking that question about, you know, what is it that I can give to my community and not what is it that my community can give to me? We have time for one last question, even though I feel like we could talk about this for a lot longer. But I wanted to reference something you spoke about earlier, because it's certainly something that I've heard and read about. And that is that sort of sense of safety that that people have once they are in the roles, right? So once they are put into a board position or an executive position, but then they find that the environment that they're in is not actually conducive or supportive to, you know, their voice and, and their sense of agency and their and their ability. And so what, what do you, um, what kind of advice do you give to your clients to create that that safety and that environment for these individuals to thrive and to contribute in the ways that they were brought on to do? Yeah, for sure. So I love to talk about amplification. Uh, you know, uh, when Obama got into into our office, the n- number one thing he wanted to do is to have gender parity. Well, he had that, but the women uh, on board suddenly realized that their voices were not being heard and um, that they were just sitting at the table, but that was it, right? So they created this word amplification, whereby they said, you know, when I make a point, can you please amplify me? Can you please restate it? Can you please support me so that everybody else can hear? And sometimes that amplification should not come from another visible minority or from another woman, but we should ask the men at the table to say, look here, have you noticed that when I bring a point, nobody listens, but when you say it, it's heard. 
So can you please help me by restating what I said, which I don't like that either because it's mansplaining. But, you know, we, we all need someone that can really stand up to say, wait a minute, did you just hear what was said here? This was a great point, right? So at the beginning, in order to create that safe space, we need allies. We need people that can know that we're there, people that can um, uh, acknowledge that we're there. So I also tell people that the minute you get there, get a mentor and if possible, get a sponsor. And the sponsor is that person that's going to be going on in the meeting that you're in and talking about the great work that you're doing. Because the last thing that we want is to be invisible even after we get there, right? So we have a lot of work that we have to do as individuals when we step into this space, but we cannot do it alone. We do need people to support us. Trish, we really appreciate you taking the time to join the show. Any final words of guidance or advice for us today? Yeah, yeah, I think I would like to mention that um, for individuals that are out there and are wanting to, you know, to step up, maybe they had given up prior to because of the, you know, problems or systemic problems that they had faced, that they can come to our website, which is synergyonboards.ca, and they can create a profile. And with that, we'll be able to know how we can support them. And as I mentioned earlier, we support them before, during, and after, so they can be part of the community. And for the organizations as well that are looking to say, you know, we want to do something, but we don't know what to do. We say you can join. We have worked with CMHC, BC Housing, UBCP, ACTRA, you know, all these large organizations that have noticed that they're ready to move forward and they're doing the right work. Uh, it, it is a lot of work, but you need to start somewhere. So, you know, I just want to remind corporations that, um, uh, you know, sitting back is not going to put you forward. You need to start. And if you're looking for diversity, you have to start by creating that safe and inclusive space and the diversity will follow. Trish, thanks again for taking the time to join our show and for all of the work you're doing in the community. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again for joining us. Our guest today was Trish Mandewa, president and founder of Synergy Executive and Boards Consulting Group. She is also a city councilor with the city of Coquitlam and co-founder of the Women's Collaborative Hub Society. My co-host today, Chantal Krish, a strategic advisor on advocacy, equity, and communications. I'm Haley Wooden, executive editor at Business in Vancouver, and this has been EDI on BIB. We publish new episodes of our show every Tuesday. You can subscribe to BIB Today on your favorite podcast app to get updates for new episodes. You can also find our archive of episodes at BIB.com slash audio. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with a new episode next Tuesday. 